Welcome to TerryWilson3.com, home of TW3, the most powerful marketing tools, training, and technology on planet Earth. Planet Earth. Get ready to earn, enjoy, and experience more than you ever dreamed was possible. If you're tired of just getting by and ready to really thrive, then buckle in and listen up. Here's your host, Terry Wilson. Thank you, Keith. What is going on, everybody? Yakety yak, we are back all the way from Montana. Big sky. Big sky country. Big sky. I tell you, that is the most beautiful place, uh, in my opinion, on uh, planet Earth. Everyone I know that's like come from Montana or at least has gone to Montana will always tell you like it's one of the prettiest places on the planet. I thought before I went out there that Ireland and Scotland was the and, and I still think Ireland is the most pretty place on yeah. planet Earth. But if you want to go somewhere just absolutely gorgeous and see mountain terrain, you can see the Rockies like Colorado. You can see unique architectural things going on with the mountains like utah and arizona yeah. it's in montana it's like colorado without all the tourists <laughs> it really is like without all the traffic it and, really yeah. really is and, and i thought colorado was beautiful so colorado's gorgeous utah's gorgeous arizona's gorgeous but man montana the streams the mountain there is a, a wide uh spectrum of things to see yeah and so uh you know in arizona it's it's mostly desert yeah. Utah, mostly desert. Colorado gets some more. You can get green and, and this, but man, Montana. That's why uh, Kanye moved out there. Kanye, Kanye West. He, <laughs> Is he really? Yeah, he, uh, 2018. Nobody's going to care about this, but. <laughs> well, no, that's all right. In uh, 2018, he moved out there and they were kind of like, he had interviews where they were asking him, like, he moved out to Montana. Like, what was the deal with that? And he was like, by myself, it's the prettiest place on the earth. It really, really he is. He bought himself uh, like a big old ranch out there and he put out a 2018 album called Yay. And the cover was like his view um, in the morning of like what he has when the sunrise co- comes up. Beautiful album cover. And it's like, this is his backyard. It's Montana. It's, I'm telling it's you, crazy. Um, I got a lot of comments on our pictures that we took while we were on mm-hmm. uh, vacation there. But the pictures don't capture it. Yeah. It, it's sort of like trying to take a picture of the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. You know, it just you, doesn't do it justice. It just doesn't do it justice. You can't catch all the nuances and the reflective reflections of light. And it's yeah. just absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. Well, tonight is a very, very uh, special show for yours truly. Uh, the much awaited interview with my personal. I got so many texts about this, not just from you, but from Gabby and like River, uh, who knew you were interviewing them. They're both like. Dad's fangirling again. I'm like, oh, is he meeting like a podcast hero or what is it this time? And they're like, nope, Chicago. And I was like, oh, oh this is the big ticket item. The big ticket. This is my Mount Rushmore, man. I, you know, yeah, that's awesome. Though I was happy for you. Like to be able to hear that. I mean, everybody's had their heroes growing up. Like I would be the same way. If I ever met Dave Grohl, I'd be in tears. Like you don't know what you meant to yeah, me. I just love you. I love, I love you so much. Well, I, you know, I'm a big music fan. What can I yeah. say? I love sports. I love music. It would be the equivalent for me of meeting Michael Jordan yeah, or LeBron, even LeBron. Right. Yeah. It just, you see these people that do just supernatural things mm-hmm. in a, in a space that you, because you dabble in it or yeah. have done something, you appreciate the difficulty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you learn to respect it even more. Yeah. You know, had I never picked up a horn or played a keyboard or tried to sing or lay down vocal tracks, yeah, then I would not 
have probably appreciate as much as you do not the depth yeah i mean everybody can oh that sounds good yeah but you get in there and try to do it yeah and you see oh you you, you pick up a basketball yeah <laughs> it's like, you don't understand he jumped from the free throw line you don't understand this man is magic <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it really is um but i want to read this quick story and then uh, we'll get right into it in 1962 a seven-year-old boy named edward boarded a ship with his family and sailed from his life he knew in Holland to a new life in America. The family had no money. All their belongings stuffed into a single trunk alongside the family piano. Ed's dad earned their ticket by playing with the ship's band. Ed arrived in California and struggled to fit in. He spoke no English. School was very confusing and segregation was in effect at the time. Considered a minority, he attended an all-black school and managed to make friends there. Still, the white kids picked on him, feeding him dirt sandwiches and mocking his strange language and name. Ed's dad couldn't find work as a musician, so he worked as a janitor and played where he could find gigs on the weekend. His mother worked as a maid. The family escaped hard times with music. They would march around the house playing pots and pans and singing at the top of their lungs. They loved music and the louder, well, the better. They spent any money they could save on instruments. When teenage Ed tired of piano, his mother, not wanting him to abandon music altogether, gave in and bought him a set of drums. Ed loved those drums and it angered him when his older brother had taken over the set and quickly became a better drummer than him. So for revenge, Ed stole his brother's guitar and tiny amplifier and began plucking away loudly, having no idea how to play or even read music. But it felt good in his hands, so he kept at it. Before long, it became obvious to Ed and his brother Alex that they had found their respective instruments. They formed a truce and a band, using their last name as the band's name. They would jam cover tunes together in the living room every day after school. Eddie's plucking quickly developed into a very unorthodox style of guitar. He was chasing a sound, a sound that he heard so clearly in his head, he became obsessed with finding a guitar that could replicate the sound he heard in his head. He spent hours at a music store where he worked delivering piano, searching every guitar for that sound. No standard guitar sounded the way he wanted it to sound. So Ed began acquiring old guitars however he could and getting at the electronics. Literally bolting and hot gluing them into components, he chiseled into the wood body of other guitars, all in an attempt to recreate the sound he was hearing so clearly in his mind. His bedroom looked like a mad scientist lab. While most teenagers were busy smoking weed in the early 70s, it was the smell of solder and wires wafting from under Ed's door. The sound was his drug. Finally, by taking the fatter tone humbucker pickups from a, a Les Paul Gibson and combining them with the thinner tone pickups of a Stratocaster, for the first time, Ed heard the sound in his head coming straight out of his amplifier. It was a defining moment for Ed and for music history. The guitar he famously named the Frankenstrat was indeed a monstrosity. In an attempt to cover up all of the burnt and chipped apart wood, he painted the guitar with a wild red, black, and white stripe pattern. Eddie and Alex set out to complete the band and find some gigs. 
They added a barrel-chested bass player with a bird-like falsetto and a flamboyant singer from New York named Dave, born to be a frontman. In the mid-70s, rock was dead. Disco and punk ruled the airwaves. Other musicians would laugh when they saw the band loading their gear into the club looking like a glammed-up throwback act. And what the heck was was with the ridiculous-looking guitar with all the corny striped paint job. The laughter, of course, stopped the minute they heard that guitar blasting out sounds no musician or fan had ever heard before. The band, Van Halen, was signed by Warner Brothers and released their self-titled debut album in 1978. On the record track, in 1 minute and 42 seconds in, Edward Van Halen permanently altered the direction of music history with a stunning guitar solo he called Eruption. Similar to Jesus, Ed split time. Of course, our Lord and Savior split time with BCAD, but from then on out, every guitar player known to man would either be deemed as before Van Halen or after Van Halen. I love that story. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, here it is. It's about entrepreneurialism. It's about giving honor uh, for such a great artist. It's it's absolutely amazing. And uh, here again, 2020 took another icon out. It started off the year with Neil Peart. Yeah. Uh, I forgot about that. That's awful. Yeah. And then ending the year with uh, Van Halen. But it is what it is. And, you know, you know, I read somewhere it says, don't be sad that he's gone. Be happy that he even came around. Yeah. And so that's what we celebrate. When we get back right after this, we're going to get into an interview I had with an icon that I've grown up with. And uh, you're going to get some uh, folks. You're going to get some business lessons, some mindset lessons out of an interview I had with a superstar musician when we get back right after this. If you've watched my podcast, any, you know that I love hats. As a matter of fact, if you see any of my blogs or written content, half the time I'm in a hat. And there's a reason for that. The older I've gotten, I've lost hair. and It keeps the sun off my head or it keeps me warm. But nevertheless, the quality hats harder and harder to find. Michael and I were down in Charleston the other week and uh, ran across a hat company called Gorin Brothers. Been in business forever and they make nothing but quality hats. You can get a fedora, flat cap, straws, packables, knit, troopers, baseball caps, you name it, they've got it. And you're not going to beat the quality, the craftsmanship, and the material they use. You're just not. And I thought all hats were created equal until I put one on my head. And I was like, good Lord, this feels so good. It breathes. It's, uh, it keeps the sun off my head so I don't get burnt. And I, I just love it. And so if you want a quality hat, go to Gorin.com or go to TierWilson3.com slash hats. It takes you to the same place. They're not an affiliate of ours. They're, this is not a paid advertisement. I just love their hats. And I think you will, too. If you mention this podcast, because I asked them, hey, can I advertise for you and give a little back? Because the, the, the real reason I'm doing this is to give value to you, to give you a discount on something if you like it. And they said they would. So they're going to offer our listeners a 15% discount if you just mention the podcast and say, hey, Terry said, I got a 15% discount at terrywilson3.com just by calling you. And you can also call them if you don't want to go to the website, 843-518-4287. That's 843-518-4287. It's the Gordon Brothers uh, Hat Company. Don't be boring. Go get you a Gordon Hat. 
listening to TW3 Radio. Inspiring, informative, and entertaining talk and music for the entrepreneur and small business owner. How you doing, man? man, I'm doing great. Great to talk to you again. All right, yeah, it's been a while. I think it was at a NAM show, right? Yeah, we were at the Elisa's booth, and uh, man, you cracked me up. <laughs> I said, uh, I went all fanboy on you. I am your biggest fan, and and you responded, well, you're the one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're the one. Oh, you're the, the one. Record company, record company said one guy heard it, you know what I mean? <laughs> hey, listen, I'm, there should be a lot of fans out there. You know, I went double plywood. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know what I mean? I think my uh, aunt and uncle heard this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But they don't like me. They never liked me in the first place. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Someone on uh, Facebook yesterday posted a uh, YouTube video of you with a group. And I can't think of the name of the group, but it's something I thought it was just released as something. And it was a cover of an old Billy Joel tune that you were doing. Oh, the, uh, the uh, in the middle of yeah. the night. Yeah, I just then it was it was Lady Smith Black Mazambo was the name of the group. My God, and they they actually did the background for Billy Joel's version, and then Alan Abraham's a real close friend of mine was producing it, and he said, "Hey, Bill, can you come sing the lead?" In the middle of the night of the Billy Joel thing, I don't know if I can hang, but I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a try. Hang? If I'm Billy well, Joel, Billy. I'm pissed. I mean, you own it now. Jeez. Billy's Billy's a monster, man. He, you know, you gotta you gotta kind of stay true to his lyrics and melodies a little bit to some point sure. without me just losing out like a fool, which I've been known to do. <laughs> <laughs> I had my kids uh, in here the other day, and uh, but it anyway. Lit, so uh, it so lit him way? up when he heard you do that that cover, and I I yeah. told him I said, listen, I said this dude could you could put him in a monastery doing Gregorian chants. And the monks would start grooving. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know who Greg Matheson is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, I've worked with him a lot of, you know, co-producer stuff. He's got a, he, he and I got three songs on the, on my upcoming album. But, but he was he was producing somebody in uh, in Rome. And he was with Tommy McCary, who's a really major league engineer and a fun guy. I love Tommy. So they were both in Rome doing uh, Humberto Tati's uh, record. And, you know, they had a day off. So they said, let's go, let's go tourist out and sightseeing. So they ended up in the catacombs. So they're going on in the catacombs. And then that's really kind of a pretty deep situation down there. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of graves and that kind of thing. A lot of really kind of dark history went on in that neck of the woods. And th- so they're walking around there with this sort of tour. And then Tommy sees this, this what looked like a, a staff and some notes on a chart. And, and he says, is that music? He said, yeah. He said, "What's the what? What is it?" And and Greg just goes over and whispers to him, "Volare." <laughs> <laughs> they, they both started losing it. People were looking at him like, "You, you sacrilegious!" <laughs> but it was, I mean, this was a Gregorian thing. It just had to be, you know, five six hundred years old or more, a couple thousand years old, probably. Oh, my word! Tommy, Tommy completely lost it. If that guy, if he wasn't a musician, I swear, I think he would be a comedian. Yeah. 
That was really funny. I wasn't expecting the twist on that story. That was actually pretty funny. That was, that was funny. But you know, uh, started out asking him about. Uh, he did a cover of an old Billy Joel tune that yeah I was remember a hit. He, yeah, I remember you showing me that. And it goes back to even what we was talking about earlier with uh, Eddie Van Halen. You know, he could have said, "Well, that's already been done. Someone else has already done it. It's been a hit. Why would I?" But yeah. he, if you ever listen to his version and Billy Joel's version, they're completely different and they both have their, they stand on their own merits. But I think sometimes, you know, people in business, people that are trying to pursue a goal or dream, one of the things that people, well, so-and-so already does that. Sure. And the thing is, yeah, so, so-and-so already does it, but you haven't. Yeah. And you're going to have your own style, your own, uh, your own, uh, artistic interpretation, artistic interpretation of, of how you would interpret this and, and how it would be, would be done. And, uh, and, uh, but you know, one of the things about music and art and those things that we don't appreciate as fans sometimes is there's actually a business behind this, mm-hmm. you know, the way he makes his living is for his songs to be either sung by other artists or him perform it or people come out and, hear it live or they buy the music there 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 is a business behind his his art and that's one of the things i love about tw3 and what we do is it was we try to help people find oh what are you passionate about yeah and put a business behind it so it works and in this segment here where we were talking he actually gets into how the uh music business has changed and uh the challenges here he, uh, it's facing which is just like any other business, whether you're in insurance, real estate, direct sales, retail, restaurant, it doesn't matter if you're in coaching, if you're in ministry, whatever it is you do, the society has changed, but technology has, has made some big, big uh, impacts on business. And that's one of the things, you know, we talk every day to guys that's been in real estate or insurance for years. Mm-hmm but they're not getting the leads that they once needed or are used to. And um, the software and, and blogs and technology sometimes can be an irritant. Yeah. But it's one of those things you've got to adapt because these are the tools of today. Right. You know, yellow pages and, and just a regular phone is not going to cut it. So in this uh, segment, he gets into how um, even in his business, even though music's been around for years, thousands and thousands of years, the business end of it, has changed and he gets into that yeah i got a lot of guys here at tw3 and uh, a lot of artists a lot of musicians uh, a lot of people that's trying to get their voice out there their, their music out there and and uh seeing an artist hey, it's hard for everybody i don't care who it is i mean yeah. it's hard for it's hard for sting to get hurt these days it's hard for anybody to get hurt it's just the whole model has changed so much well i was, I was wanting you to speak and to that digital yeah. thing is probably going to be where it's all going and the whole streaming and all that other thing really killing musicians right and left it's just real hard even ones that you know i mean if you get your song on like okay for instance uh, lady antebellum big group big group had this song of the year one year pandora had i think 72 million streams mm. that's you know i mean that means the real fans are listening to the song 25 times 100 times right uh but instead of downloading right and uh, and the the writers split six three writers they split six thousand dollars seventy two million streams you imagine that in jukeboxes whoa <laughs> you know yeah. tell me about it 
Right. And then, and then the, uh, and at the exact time they were, you know, cashing their $2,000 check each, uh, the, the guy that was the CEO of Pandora was in Washington trying to cut their, their share of it by 85%. Mm. So that's pretty much pulling the rug out from under all of us. So, and, and that was just Pandora. That was just, that had nothing to do with Spotify, but they're both the same kind of thing. And I think I, from what I understand, iTunes, which has been a download thing, and you kind of pay from them. Uh, from what I understand, iTunes is about to go into a streaming world. So I, we're, it's the model is changing, and figuring out a way to 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 turn it turn music into commerce again is is rather hard. It's kind of a singles world now. If you don't have one yeah. song that's tearing people up, nobody's going to pay attention to it. And selling albums, you know, they say CDs will be gone in two years. That's isn't that I amazing. I mean, my 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 base, my fans really want CDs. I mean, they're uh, you know, a lot, and actually a lot of them want uh, LPs. You know, uh, listen, I'm still yeah. Vinyl exactly. sounds a little better, I think, and and some you know, I think the record companies kind of missed the boat when they did take their basic uh, CDs up to DVD level and make it 24 bit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That way, when everybody was sharing MP3s, you say, "Okay, you can you can share the MP3s for free." We got it. The shit that sounds really good. Exactly. So at least you'd have the Sonic freaks buying it, you know? Right. Right. Rather than rather than everybody turning their back. So I mean, uh, you know, if you got a good set of cans or excuse me, headphones. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you got a good set of headphones and you're listening to, say, for instance, you got your 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 TV and your and your speakers all connected to movies that you're watching. And that's usually where you play your CDs. And you notice that the soundtracks for the movies sound better, sound bigger, they sound fatter. That's because they're 24 bit as opposed to 16. Right. Yeah. So what, what do you do as Bill Champlin? uh, If you're starting out, what would you advise a new artist that's just trying to get out there, trying to make it happen? Uh, well, you know, I was, my, I mean, my son is, you know, he's in his thirties and he's, he's an absolute monster. He, he went ahead and did, he got on the voice. He did absolutely great. He was in the, he was a, that came in number three. He was in the final and it, it kind of didn't do anything for him. If anything, after a couple of years afterwards, he had to do everything he could to try to live it down. Really? So it's kind of hard to say, yeah. but I think, I think the, the guys that get the attention, at least from what I've been able to see are the producers. Yeah. You know, the producers are usually piano players that really got their, you know, Logic or Ableton or Pro Tools, or digital performer, whatever platform they're working on. Because, I mean, digital music is just a series of ones and zeros. Yeah. You really get right down to it. It's one of the reasons that it, one of the reasons it makes it as mutable, as, as uh, manageable as it is. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of the music that's out now is just perfect. Yeah. And you, just don't want to listen to it more than once. Well, there's no soul to it. I mean, it's just... It's yeah, you just they just took the bark all off the tree. You know, listen to Hendrix's record. There's a little time up faster here, slower there. Pitch things here and there, and you just don't care. So, one of the things he was saying there that I think just corresponds, Reagan, specifically with business, is back in the day, you could, you could be a rock star, you could be an all-star just by being this guitar player or this drummer. Yeah. But nowadays 
you have to be the guy behind the scenes as well. Mm-hmm. To me, the way that translates in business is I used to could be a rock star just being by that all-star salesman out on the sales floor. Mm. But now the way you, you rock it out is you got to be able to be the producer behind the scenes that's generating the leads, that's getting the audience so that you can put that, that product, good or service, yeah. that value in front of them. And that's what he's saying, because that's what a producer does. He, he produces the whole thing because he knows there's an audience that he can get in front of with this. And then everybody gets paid. Mm. And, I, you know, I, when he heard that, it was just like light bulbs. I said, that's exactly the way it is in business. You know, you know, back in the day, I did well just being a salesperson. Yeah. All I had to do is worry about being this this rock star salesperson. Uh, but nowadays, you know, if I want to uh, be able to exercise that gift of selling, then who do I sell to? Mm. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how? Yeah. You know that this it, 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 even though he's in a music industry, it's all the same thing. Yeah, it correlates for sure. I think you could be a fantastic salesman, at least in our business, you could be a fantastic salesman. But if you don't know how to support your clients, you're not great at uh, coaching at it all. It all counts. I mean, it all you got to be the producer. Yeah, you got to be the wizard behind the curtain. And it doesn't mean that you have to to know everything and do everything. But it does mean that you've got to have your hands in a little bit of everything. It's just like you, you just started mm-hmm. working in the call center and you're not going to do a lot of coaching. Mm-hmm. But you're doing a lot of front front selling and then passing it off uh, to coaches to, to help out. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing. If, if I'm going to be a musician out there, maybe all I want to do is play guitar or keyboard or sing or write. But I've got to have enough wherewithal that this is a business and I've got to have this in front of people. And I've got to be able to generate that audience. I, I can't depend on a record label anymore. Put yourself in a position where you're talking to people every day. And, you know, bottom line, you, you want to be able to get them started and get them on their way um, with their own business. But the r- reality is that's not cut out for everybody. I mean, it's just not some people right. they can't work off just commission. And I respect that. There's some people that don't have any experience in sales, not good with computers, uh, various reasons why it's just it, not a fit. It wouldn't be a fit for them instead of having to be like, oh, well, I didn't sell one today. Like, no, I got them a job. You helped them and got paid for it. Yeah. And that's just, uh, no, you're right. I, I love the way our business model is set up. There's not a person that we speak to that we have to sell to make money. Yeah. We can help them and still get paid by someone else just right. for helping them. And honestly, it puts you in a position where you're constantly honest with people. I mean, you don't, you don't, you're not tempted to have to, no, to like color something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be able to talk to people and be like, I tell them up front, I'm like, hey, I get paid off commission. That's what I do here. Um, I guess you could call myself a headhunter. My goal is to find out what you want to do and what your experience is. And then it's a conversation of like, okay, what have you done in the past? If it's somebody that's only worked salary jobs, only worked hourly jobs, have no interest in a commission job. And they're entry level jobs to start with. Right. It's like, I'm not in a place where I'm frustrated because I waste my time. It's like, I want to help them and I'm able to get paid for it. And especially in today's market, when people need jobs. And then for those that were like myself, you feel kind of stuck in a place that you didn't enjoy working. Having that freedom to sort of get out of that, you're helping people. Right. I mean, yeah. I get it. I get it. Well, in this next segment, uh, we get into talking about uh, craft versus art. Uh, and what we mean by that is there's a mechanics to selling. There's a mechanics to uh, playing an instrument. Yeah. There's fundamentals and stuff. And then there's something when you master your, your craft, mm-hmm. it becomes 
this thing that's beyond just craft, but it's an art. You know, have you ever been around people that you can go in and say something and someone else can go in and say the same thing, but there's a completely different effect. Mm-hmm. It's the same words. Yep. Same subject, same audience. And that's that artistry. Mm-hmm. And to me, art moves people. It, it, it connects to people on a deeper emotional, psychological and for, for me as a believer, a spiritual level that, uh, that, that sort of bypasses the whole uh, intellectual side of things. And he gets into, you know, as a musician, uh, you work on your craft, you work on your craft, but every once in a while you get good at what you're doing, that your craft turns into art. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's just, it's, it's very rewarding. So, and this, goes into everything that we're talking about in business, you know, getting good at computers and speaking and podcasting and blogging and creating sales funnels, all of that. That's just craft. That's just mechanics. But when you can get it to the point where uh, you can, you can really play a song with it and move people, that's when it becomes fun. And, and I thought this was uh, pretty cool. So let's check this out. I'm talking about meters floating a little bit and not being so perfect. I, your last, not this most recent one, Wonderground, but the one before that, No Place Left to Fall. Yeah. I was listening to an interview you were doing somewhere. I can't remember what, what uh, medium it was. But something I didn't realize, there is a tune on there, and I'm trying to remember the name, but it's you and Will. You know, you're just chopping. I mean, you're on the B3, and I think he's on the roads or vice versa. Uh, I think that was uh, tugging on your sleeve. Tugging on your sleeve, yes. Yeah, Will was playing like a whirly piano, and I was playing a Hammond organ. Yeah, and you guys. And, were- yeah, and it was just, what happened was, is that the, at the end of the tune, the rest of the band stopped, and me and Will just kept going. But you guys put and that they, on the and front. And the engineer kept recording it, so we put that on the front and, and a little bit on the end. You, you so, don't you don't get that, that yeah, in Will, Pro Tools. Will's a feature, I mean, he he plays he plays that with circles around. He's a pussy grab. He's bad boy all the way around. Yeah, but plus he's so good at computer. You know, he's really dug into all that kind of stuff to the point where he just really knows his way around. And then he sings, he, he writes and sings, and it's like forget it. He's a monster, yeah. bad boy, serious bad boy. You know, I, you know, anytime I'm full of myself around the house, all I got to do is look over there and go. Okay. <laughs> so he keeps you humble, huh? <laughs> exactly. It has to. You know, and then, you know, there's a handful of singers around that whenever I start going, man, I'm singing really good. I'll just go listen to Jerry Lopez or something or, or old, old Lou Rawls records or somebody like that and go, you ain't all that, Bill. <laughs> you got to, you know, keep working at it. You'll eventually come up with something. You know? Oh, my word. Well, I mean, I, I think if you're not, if, if you, if you, the minute you see, you think that you that you got it is the minute you don't. Mm. Pretty much, it's just the nature of the thing. It's like golf. The minute you tell yourself, "Man, I'm playing good," you're in the, the next stroke. You're in a rough. It's as simple as that. And it's kind of a, it's sort of a, it's a little bit of a Zen thing. It's just, just keep going and don't stay don't, hungry. Uh, yeah, don't judge. Yeah, it's not a matter of really hungry so much as it's just keep doing the craft and if the more you do the craft the more chances that art will will come flying out of it because you don't do the art you do the craft and art just happens yeah you know i i think I, you know i mean there's a lot of i do a lot of stuff that's just basically craft and occasionally i hit something that's just really artistic 
yeah. you know, lyrics and, and chord progressions and whatever, you know? And, uh, and I just go, man, and the more, the more you do that, the better chances you have of, of something just turning into art. I mean, you look at the art that has lasted maybe the longest in history and it's probably the pottery of some guy that was making something to put his wheat in, you know, right. <laughs> you know <laughs> thousands of years ago. And he just decided to draw something on the front of this bowl. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that, and we're all looking at that as like, well, this will sell for about $50 million. And all he was, you know, now all, all he was looking for was someplace to put his wheat or his corn or whatever. You know? Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's kind of the way you kind of look at it. I just, I just go, well, you know, it's, it's, it really start. everything starts off as crap. Yeah. You know, you, you do. And, but, and then somebody else told me something almost the opposite that the, when you record the, the first thing that goes to tape or digital, you know, right. uh, you know, the first thing that ends up at your destination is who you are and how you feel. Yeah. Not, and then, and then time, intonation, uh, you know, in education, all the other things that we've all learned in school. Right. But, you know, if you learn just enough in school, you can actually try to get what you feel on the tape. That's why, you know, highly manipulated uh, and over-tuned stuff nowadays, I kind of lose it. Well, that's what I was going to say uh, and ask. um, You know, with all this technology, we can make pitch perfect and, and all of this other stuff. But, you know... I I listen to you in in singing with other people, and you just got that that voice, that, that fat voice that just, I mean, and it's, it's you've got these guys that sing, and they're real real pretty, real real this, but by themselves, it it is what it is. But you put Champlin's voice with it, and all of a sudden, the spectrum just widens up, and there's a soul to it, and there's an emotion to it. And technology and software just can't give that. Well, you, it, yeah, you know, but I'm sorry, I was talking to somebody else a little while ago. Just, you know, which your, your actual voice itself is, you have no choice over what you get. You get what you get. Right. You know, Eartha Kitt got the voice she got, but boy, two notes, you know who she was. Uh, uh, you know, Luther Vandross, I mean, such a beautiful voice, but I mean, his, his chops and his, you know, his craft and his, and his ability to really use it the way he did was just insane. It's great. Uh, Peter Cetera, Michael McDonald, two notes, you know who they are. Yeah. And a lot of that's just the voice they were given. What really makes them special is that they've really learned how to touch people. And that's really what counts. Right. I mean, Michael can sing two bars and you feel it. That's the truth. You know, I love that because in our world, you know, Reagan, you've heard me say it on this show and uh, uh, and other times. We don't sell genies in a bottle. Right. We don't sell get rich quick pills. We sell the tools. We sell the training to develop a craft so you can make beautiful music. But you have to work the craft. You have to work the tools. You have to work. You got to learn your instrument. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's what he was saying. With all this technology. It would be the equivalence of, hey, I, I'm going to go out and buy the same keyboard, the same uh, computer software that Bill Champlin's got, and I'm going to win Grammys and just write these hit songs. Oh, it works. <laughs> yeah. I, he touched on it a little bit, too. There's like a little bit of appreciation for when you've kind of spent time 
um, and you talked about it a little bit before, when you spend time in a certain environment or uh, in a certain interest of like what you like, and then you see somebody come around and sort of make art from it, that's when you learn to appreciate it. Like a, a new band I really like is like a math rock band, which for people that don't know what math rock is, is basically like a drummer's, uh, <laughs> a drummer's fantasy. Yeah, I guess. It's, it's changing time it's signatures, changing time and, signatures and different people playing different beats, but then they all coalesce. We used to call it being complicated for complicated sake. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is, but you know, my roommates make fun of me cause I'll play it in the living room and I'll have like Alicia and all my friends come over and I'm like listening to it. Basically what you had played, they're jamming out, right. but in math rock terms, it doesn't sound great to maybe an untrained ear, but when you like kind of know what they're doing, I'm like, it's intellectually stimulating. Right. And I'm like, I'm bopping to it. I'm like, this is amazing. This is the greatest thing <laughs> I've heard all year. you can't find the and one, you like, can't dance to They're it. like, are you, what are you talking about? This is awful. Like, <laughs> well, they can't feel it. But then there's that human emotion. They're playing different tones and whatnot. But like, I've noticed some of that for our business too. Talking to people that have been sort of in a direct commission um, sales job, people that work sort of for themselves. And I don't know, there's there's a difference you can kind of tell between people that have worked for somebody their whole life and people that work for themselves and sort of see our product. I've had people hang up on me because they're like, you know, as soon as I mention, well, we have hourly salary and then commission work from home, they hear commission work from home. They're like MLM hang up on me. And I'm like, there's nothing I can do about that. I mean, right. I, I get where you're coming from. I understand your part of the argument. You should have given me two seconds so I could explain, but whatever. Um, but then you talk to like, I'll talk to these real estate guys down in Florida sometimes. And they're like, wait, you have that you do what with your product? And you just explain it. There's appreciation to it. Well, I mean, cause they know the art. Yeah. It's like they get it. And I don't know. It's, it's cool to see. It's cool to see that in other, you know, subjects. Well, that's and, why and, I love this interview. I said, I'm going to use this interview in this business show just because there is so much mindset. And I think, I think what's this, this is doing for me is it's taking it out of just raw business. Yeah. It's putting it in art that's and life lessons. And it's like, like, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's it the, applies. it's the same thing. It applies. Uh, just, just uh, across the spectrum. In this next segment, we're talking about finding inspiration to, to be able to create. And the thing I love about this is we all every day need to find inspiration. I don't know what inspires you. Some people, it's, it's for your mother. It's walking and hiking 40 miles in Montana. <laughs> I'll never understand. Well, no, I did enjoy it. But uh, for me, it's listening to a song that moves me or art. Uh, I, I'm a big lyric person. Of course, music moves me. But people are moved different ways and they're inspired by different things. And if you're going to do anything great, you got to be inspired. And uh, he, he goes into uh, things that have inspired him and how he finds inspiration. Another interesting thing, I, I another interview I heard was you were talking about how you listen to instruments like the saxophone to get inspired with phrasing and well the, the players i mean when i was younger when i was a kid of course i was listening to lou rawls because he was you know he was a he was a walking talking and singing phrasing textbook yeah he knew how to back phrase everything you know and I, we became friends quite a few years later and i said wow what, what this back phrasing thing that you got so down and he says, oh, I don't know. I forgot the words until the last second. <laughs> yeah, right, Lou. I got you. And that was <laughs> where, you know, the inner clock has really got that thing going on. And and for me, one of my favorite, some of my favorite playing was King Curtis and Junior Walker. Both of those sax players just had a, 
really cool thing going on. You know, the where they where they put it, how they how they laid stuff in there. Really and uh, and you know, hey, I, I copped it. And, oh, wow. and I was one of those guys. Yeah, I play both guitar and keyboard. Usually, if I learn something on the guitar, I'll, I'll go over to the keyboard and try to learn how to play it there. And right. vice versa. Yeah, but you, that English, it, it just the phrasing, and it was a, I, I don't know how to articulate it, but it was just that that freight that sort of like a a spin you put on the phrasing a little bit, you know. To, yeah, I, it was amazing, you know, some of the stuff. Uh, Every once in a while, I'll back phrase something a little further, just to just to push it home. Kind of an attention getter, dude. What's wrong, Dodge Gray? Yeah, what's wrong here? <laughs> You know, D'Angelo made made a career of that. After a while, you kind of go, any chance of singing something on one? <laughs> but, but, I mean, he's, he's, he's an amazing singer. Through the roof, right? That's amazing. He's one of those guys in the in the modern era that just kind of came. And I haven't, I haven't heard much from him lately. Uh, I haven't been looking for his album. But, uh, God, he was great. For, you know, Voodoo and the first record I can't, oh, Brown Sugar. Both of those records are screamingly great. You monster. Yeah. R&B. Deep, R- deep rhythm and blues player, you know. I mean, that, that player and singer. He's a great Rhodes player. And, you know, that's, I don't even want to go into Prince and how great that guy was. I mean, just ridiculous. Oh. I, I was so blown out when, when he passed. I was going, oh, no, not him. That's all wrong because he's just consistently musical all the way down the line. And it, the last guy that had that kind of steady, you know, steady output of great music was P- uh, Stevie Wonder. Yeah. For my money, you know, yeah, Ray Charles yeah. way years before that. So I love that because he's getting into, you know, as a, as a vocalist, why would you listen to sax players to learn how to phrase and, and, and sing? But he, he does. And he's listening to other things and other people and other sounds. And it's just like tonight. We are listening to a musician, songwriter, uh, you know, artist, and taking business lessons from it. Isn't it yeah. amazing how you can find inspiration if you'll learn how to contextualize it? Yeah. Ins- inspiration comes from different places for different people. It was like you were saying, mom gets inspired by walking and nature yeah. and whatnot. I, I think what's part of what's cool to, to do sometimes is research sort of really successful businesses, musicians, and kind of find out what inspired them. You know, kind of like what you just did with, with Bill Champlin, like saxophone is what inspires his vocals. It's so weird. Isn't that weird? Yeah, but it's like, but you kind of get it when he gets his into his explanations. Like, I'm a big Foo Fighters fan. Dave Grohl's my hero. Like, listen to him uh, describe what, why he has so many guitars. Like, there's three or four guitarists in his band now, which granted, it's more of just he's a, has all these friends and he just invites right. them to play. come on. <laughs> yeah, and then they just all become, you know, guitar players, but like starting out what inspired him was he's a drummer so his guitar parts always start with like it's it's drum phrasing like one guitar like a rhythm guitar that's the hi-hat and then lead guitar that's like the bass drum and snare like it that type of stuff though when you when you find out what's inspiring people and you can do the same in business like certain people are working for themselves for various different reasons some people were inspired by the money some people inspired by the freedom you know and that's important when you're talking to people and recruiting people into your insurance business, your real estate business, your TW3 business or whatever, don't assume that what inspires you is will, what inspires them will inspire them. Yeah. You know, you need to to learn 
uh, how different people are inspired differently and speak to all of it mm -hmm. uh, so that you're not alienating other people. In this segment, this gets the, the most controversial segment because he gets into a little bit about, um, well, his tenure with uh, the group Chicago. And uh, if oh, did he hurt your feelings? No, <laughs> controversial for you. No, it's not. It, no, no, he, he really didn't hurt my feelings. It was just it was more of um, you just hate to hear it. Office politics is everywhere. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> personality conflicts. Yeah. Uh, feeling like you're controlled by other people. Uh, you know, it, this just drives home what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's worth being your own boss. For sure. It's worth being your own boss. Now, he was what's called a principal. In other words, you know, bands are set up different ways. Um, you can be a hired hand for that band, but you're not you don't get a vote. In right. other words, they they their drummer and their guitarist. Mm -hmm. uh, they weren't technically principals of the band they were right in other words if this drummer can't show up we'll just hire someone else right he's a fill-in it sounds rude to say fill-in but it's well, like he's just drummer. he's just hired labor that, that that's all he is uh he was one of the principals right he got a vote you know this is what we're going to do this is what he was one but he wasn't with the original DePaul University graduate, college graduates that started the band. Okay. So you'll have to fill people like me in that are not. Yeah. You know, he came on, Terry Kath, one of the uh, founding members, mm -hmm. uh, accidentally killed himself mm -hmm. in 78, I believe it was. And they waffled for many, many years, very few hits after that. And Terry Kath was a Ray Charles sounding soulful voice. And Peter Cetera was that high tenor that uh, was pretty, all the lovey-dovey stuff. And Robert Lamb was more of the baritone, just the meat and potato type singer. But they didn't have that soul. And, and uh, they got a new producer in the um, early 80s. And they said, you've got to have an R&B uh, to, to offset some of this jazz pop sound that you've got. And so they brought in Bill Champlin. Mm. And uh, he he already was a Grammy award winning artist and had his own uh, bona fides, if you will. So he wasn't just going to be hired help. Right. So they had to make him a part of the band. Well, the problem was he started, uh, his light started shining and it made uh, some insecurities in the rest of the band. And, and, you know, well, who do you think we've been doing this for 12, 15 years prior to you getting here? Yeah. Well, you just asked another all-star to come in. Right. He, he knows his worth. He knows his worth. He knows his value. And, uh, you know, by the mid nineties, that relationship became more and more sour. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, and it happens in office restaurant businesses. We see it happen in sports all the time. Sports. It yeah. happens all the time. So, uh, he spoke to that a little bit in this segment. Back out here. on the road and sing, make me smile or make me senile or whatever the hell. <laughs> whatever it's going to be. You know what I mean? Oh, listen, and I, I wasn't going to go there, but I'll just hit one thing. Uh, I think it's terrible. Uh, some of the things that was done, said, and, and comments made. Uh, just, well, there's just really kind of not a group there anymore than, than there is. Uh, tribute band, I, I think uh, Lamb and uh, and Lockman and occasionally Panko show up and everybody else's faces nobody knows. Man, from what I understand, singers really good. But, I mean, when I was done with that, I just turned around and walked the other way. I'm 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 out of here. 
No, I did it. You served your time. You it, was, it, it paid the bills. I'm sure. I did my bit. <laughs> <laughs> like the old spiritual goes, free at last, free at last. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, it, it was just getting more and more uncomfortable because you know they wanted me out of there for a long time. They just figured they'd make it really uncomfortable for me until until I quit, and I just went, well, if I quit, you're not going to give me anything. 28 years and not even a gold watch. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. So I, it was a Mexican standoff and eventually they just went ahead on. Yeah. And I, I didn't get it. I didn't get a lot, but I got a little enough to get me kind of going to the next, to the next world, you know? Sure. But I felt, you know, when it was over with, I was, I was snake bit for a couple of days, but after a while I went, Hey, I'm sleeping better. Suddenly. Exactly. I'm shaking and that kind of crazy. It was, it was, it's just a, it's just a high stress situation. And I've seen a lot of bands, you know, in that same kind of, kind of level there's just a lot of stress a lot of a lot of weird little games played and stuff that, you know hey man you know what a what a scene let, let me let me be uh uh what's the word for it let me be uh just insecure all the time uh because you know i can't afford the, the you know the gas for my two rolls Royces exactly. or my bentley or you know give me a well, I'll tell you, for my money, uh, that time period between, I would say, the late 80s up until about 93, 94, I mean, I loved it. I, the, the Dwayne Bailey, the when Tris was just getting in the band, and it yeah. seemed like you guys were still writing and uh, still being creative, and you weren't at that time in those shows. I, I felt like you were stuck back later on. Uh, in some type of orchestra pit, almost, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. you, you were covering all the oh, parts I mean, for they, everybody they else. Put a scrim, if they could have put a scrim between the, the, the non-originals and the originals, they would have done. Yeah. But there's still that thing that, you know, I mean, even Mitch Terra, even as, as, as big a star as he was, he said, we got to at least look like a band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's, Peter's a cool guy. He's, I've, always, I've always gotten along with him pretty well. Dude, you're, you, you guys' voices blend. I, 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 yeah. It was just amazing. So apparently, uh, office politics is everywhere. <laughs> Craziest thing. <laughs> and people's insecurities and people's uh, wanting to mark their territories in a, in a business. Yeah is everywhere and uh you know it's it's a shame but here again it's why i uh, advocate entrepreneurialism (laughs) because uh it it truly is the great equalizer no for sure i mean there's no one to really blame but yourself i mean but that pressure sometimes is overwhelming you got to work your way up to it oh yeah it's a gamble i mean i don't i don't want to say gamble but you got to weigh the benefits with the the negatives it's like well it is a gamble but it's a it's a it doesn't have to be a high risk gamble. Right. Yeah. You know, going into work for someone's a gamble. Who says they're going to be up in tomorrow? Says they're not going to fire you the next day. You know, uh, exactly. Know. Yeah. It, every life is a gamble. Yeah. I mean, no, that's, that's true. It's just, uh, I would, I want all the cards. If, I think it's also about personality types too. That's why we advocate, you know, screen the people you bring on, let yeah. f- find out how they are. Cause I think you see a lot of bands that, uh, like the, I feel like I'm a one trick pony, but I can only reference the Foo Fighters. That's just because <laughs> I, know I can only reference Chicago. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just know everything about the Foo Fighters. Um, that you, band, you is, got that honest, by the way. Yeah, they, they've only ever gone through one member, um, and that's it's just so weird to they have like I think six guys now, um, 
and they've all been around since like 2002 and they're still going. So, you know, pretty long-term members. They started in 94, but the only member they've ever gone through was uh, their first drummer. And that's because it sounds bad to say, but like everybody in that band kind of knows their place. Right. Like they know like Dave Grohl's King Grohl. Right. He's, well, he's, he's, Dave the, Grohl he's is the leader. The, yeah. He's the Foo Fighters. Um, right. But the drummer came from another band where he was very like, equal standing everybody's standing on their own two feet you know we're all we're all held equally but the it's thing a is democracy over there yeah. i mean if you know the Foo fighters their first album was all recorded by roll himself he did all the drum parts he came from nirvana he's he is a drummer so it's like right. when there was recording sessions where you know girl didn't think the drum parts were up to par he just went over and re-recorded himself he's like well he's and the guy got really upset for obvious reasons like sure. he took away my parts like i mean now i don't feel like a part of the band he's like i mean he didn't kick him out. He was like, I still want you a part of the band, but you know, I mean, if it's, I just know what the drums need to sound like. And that wasn't it. You can still tour. We still love having you on. The guy left. Right. But then for all the, you know, Taylor Hawkins took over in like 97, still with the group, but it's just kind of like, it's a personality thing. Yeah. I think that band works. Cause everybody knows like, this is girls band. We like love the music. That's, that's why we're a part of it. I think if maybe more of those members were not so entrepreneurial or if they were more entrepreneurial and they were more like role, they probably wouldn't mesh in that band. It's not a fault on them. It's no, not it's a, just exactly. It's personality types. Definitely. Um, like it, Bill Champlin's very obviously he's a, he's a, he's his own man. Like, he, I, he, I, you know, I don't need, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a, a bad thing. No, that's no, just, no, that's exactly. how he is. And it's not that he's hard to get along with. I, I mean, Listen, this is the second time I've ever spoken with him. The first time was just at a trade show bumping into him going, oh, you're yeah. Bill Champlin. You know, yeah. that was it. And then I call up and it's like an old friend. He's very open, personable, personable, open, honest. He didn't hedge anything. Matter of fact, we've edited this up to keep some of the controversy because he, he, he'll tell you what he thinks. Yeah. You know, and, and not in a belligerent way, not in a dogmatic way. He's just this is what I this is where I'm this at. Is what I think. Yeah. yeah. You're asking me questions. You're asking me questions. Here's the answer. One of the other things he got into, and I love this because he, a couple segments ago, he was talking about developing your craft, developing your craft. And when you develop your craft, what happens is you're prepared for other opportunities that might come your way. Mm -hmm. He's a rock star. He's uh, touring with a mega band back in the 80s, Chicago. There was no bigger band in the seventies and eighties in Chicago. You know, now of course they waned later on, but 60s, 70s and 80s, they were out there. They were a household name. They were writing songs. They were hits on the, you couldn't, you couldn't go into a store. You couldn't turn on the radio without hear, hearing their music. Well, um, that's, that's his life. He doesn't have to do anything else. Why would he do anything else? Yeah. But because he developed his craft, other opportunities started coming his way. And this is what I tell people all the time. You get our system. You learn this technology. You learn how to build landing pages, opt-in forms. You learn some marketing skills that we show you. It is going to open up. We talk about RMP, but outside of RMP, there's opportunities that come across my desk every day because people need a skill set, a craft that I've not only been able to develop but there's a little artistry with it now. Mm-hmm. And he gets into how that even helped him in this segment. In the, heat of the, night. the show in the heat of the night, 1988, yeah. Carol mm-hmm. O'Connor. I've always wondered, was the recording of that song that you masterfully did and sung on, 
was that done for the show or you were you doing that that was already something you were working on and the no, no, producers I, I, I was I was one of the singers in Canada I was home from the on the road I was on the road and I was home for about a week and a half and Tamara had a gig at this little club down in Studio City and I picked you know, a couple of keyboards together and a stand and went over and, and played with it and this guy Chris Page came up to me and says hey man they're doing this they're going to do a, uh, you know Carol O'Connor is going to do this show in the heat of the night, I said, oh, just like the, you know, uh, uh, Rod Steiger, Sidney Poitier movie in 1961, 62. Mm-hmm. And Ray Charles did the song there. And I said, oh, you're going to get Ray to do the, the theme? He says, no, Ray didn't want to do it. So we're having everybody in town sing it. Sing it. You know, we got the song. We got the track that we like. And, you know, it's a pretty short little piece of music. So we got the track that we like. Uh, but we're, you know, we're having Leslie Smith came in and sang, Mike Finnegan, handful of singers, all that are, I always keep saying, sang circle around me, but I said, shut up, you know, what's the money? <laughs> well, I said, for a demo, it's 150 bucks. I went, well, I got nothing to do tomorrow. I'll just sit at home, sit home and watch TV. Yeah, I'll, I'll come by and take a whack at it. So I went by, knocked it off. They said, let me, let me hear the last guy that did it. It happened to be Mike Finnegan. I went, there's no way they're not going to. And Mike, Mike Finnegan is one of my all-time favorite singers. Oh, my God, what a piece of work. Then he sits at the B3 and just tears, tears the top of your head off. He's just insanely great. One of my favorites, all has been for years. But, uh, you know, for some, I just took a whack at it. And, and the guy that was the, the, main, uh, the main music guy, I think it was Dick, Dick Benedictus was his name. He, you know, I got the call the next day. He said, can you come back and sing two more lines? You, you got the gig. Wow. And it was like, oh, okay. You know, I just threw it out, the, threw it at the wall, see what would happen. Same week, same thing happened with uh, ABC was doing a version of uh, uh, for the for hey, okay, watch us this year, right? ABC TV, and me and Jill Colucci went in and did uh, uh, what was it? Dancing in the Street. Okay. So it was, it was my TV week for my. I, I like it's like you just knock out all your TV stuff right then and there. There was a yeah. song you did. I'm trying to remember the time. I think it was 20 years ago was the title, maybe, with Kenny Rogers. Yeah. Didn't you yeah. do that? with? Wasn't that you and doing backgrounds for him on that? It was me and Jason, me and Jason Shep. Yeah. Okay. That's why. I just did the chorus on that. And somebody had actually, Jay called, somebody had actually cut the track on it and sent it to Jay to finish it out. And Jay said, what you need to do is bang this, bang this chorus a lot harder than, than you got it going. So he put me and Jason in there. You'd be surprised what a dime would buy 20 years ago. And then it being good. Kenny's a sweetie pie. I, I didn't, I never really met him, but I talked to him on the phone a couple times. Did him did a favor or two here and there that he kind of needed. Yeah. I mean, somebody wanted to do, wanted, he, he was going to do a song for, uh, Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas movie Tough Guys I think it was called yeah and and they had this song for him and it was all fine and then he wanted to do it and and he knew the people that were that had written it and everything and they, they wanted to do a duet he said I don't want it so they called me and said well let's do a duet anyway and then we'll make it really good and he'll love it and I said wait a minute you know at the time I was working on something else with and I just told him I said no I'm not going to, I'm not doing this. If he said he didn't want to do it, I'm not going to sing. You know, I'm, I'm going with what he wanted. And then I can't, 
I talked to Jay about it. Jay said, you mean he, he actually didn't do it? No. Jay said, he, I, I told him you didn't want to do it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then I, you know, I said, okay, Kenny didn't want me to do it. I ain't doing it. And he said, man, cool. I'm sending over a, a tour jacket for him. He said, man, that was really, that was really nice of you. You, you would, you would think he'd take a shot at it to try to get on a, a record <laughs> like that. No, nah, I, I, it just was like, eh, I don't want to just piss him off. Sure. I didn't know if that was a foster connection or something. Cause it seems like I read. No, or it was, uh, actually Jay Graydon. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because it seems like I read that uh, one of the tunes off of 16 or 17, was it, was supposed to be a Kenny Rogers tune, and it turned out to be you and Peter. Don't even know. I can't remember. I don't know where I heard that. Don't even have oh, I know what it was. Is that Netflix special that's got uh, David Foster. A Netflix mm. special. He was talking about that. So I just assumed. Well, there was one tune on 17 that, was, that David was trying to write with... Uh, uh, with a lot of Richie and it was too funky. I mean, I, I wish I had the cassette. He played me a cassette of Lionel singing one or two words and the rest of it doo doo da da. You know what I mean? Right, right. But it was, it was as good as TV wonder. I mean, it was like, Whoa, Lionel, I didn't know you had these kind of chops. And, and Lionel's producer, producer heard it. And what, this is too black hmm. for the record that we're going to do. Cause we're going to do this crossover record, which was the first one he, put out right uh after leaving commodores and uh and uh and basically foster said he, okay I, I get what's going on okay i got just the guy <laughs> he gave it to me and i finished writing it we put it on chicago 17 it ended up being funky as hell beautiful beautiful song called please hold on oh my god one of my favorites yeah, yeah it's got that uh, shuffle beat thing going on i guess yeah. that three quarter groove you know I, you might have even had yeah you know what the the demo came in it was John Robinson playing drums okay yeah and I think he just stuck with that and, you know he might have had Danny try to replace him but replacing John Robinson did Michael Otteson John's pretty damn good you know? have you re-recorded the most, that the most recorded the most recorded <laughs> musician in the history of the world you know have you ever recorded that tune on another album or project? I, I, yeah, maybe a live. I think a live thing I might have done something. I, I got to see you guys in 04 and 05. I saw you with Earth, Wind, and Fire singing uh, mm. the song you wrote for them. And I actually wrote it for me, but they ended up with it. Okay, so it was it was written for you, but they took it, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, and they wanted through four more songs off the album. I should have given them. <laughs> it was another another great career move. I was just calling it. Oh, here goes another one of my Suzanne Summers career moves. <laughs> Oops, not so good. You know. Let me see. I got a hit TV show. I'm gonna leave, and you know, I think I'll leave now. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm gonna leave now, and then, you know, okay, there you go. See you, see you later. Anyway, neither here nor there. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Well, I've been trying to give you an Academy Award the whole interview, but I guess you you just won't take it. So you'll hey, I'll take the Oscar. I don't mind. You know. <laughs> You're just gonna have to settle for your Grammys, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I always had a, I always had a joke back in the day where it's like, well, if you're gonna nominate 
nominate me for a Grammy and I don't get it, then you got to at least give me a half a Grammy to get home on, right? (laughs) (laughs) Just such such studio sausage approach. Studio sausage approach to uh, to the award shows, you know what I mean? Yeah, for real. Hey, the the second one I got was for George Benson. Uh, Turn Your Love Around. Turn Your Love Around. And I showed up late because I was so busy working. I didn't get a I didn't get a limo. And the car I was driving was it had I just had to go to the parking lot way down the street and walk walk there rather than have a limo drop me off. So I showed. I mean, the, the Grammy was was handed to to Luke and uh, and Jay, and I showed up after it was over. Oh, somebody came up man. to me as they walked in the door. She said, "Bill, you won." possible yeah he did it was, it was afternoon anyway you know wasn't on the tv show but i mean uh, r&b has always been an afternoon award you know they do it in the afternoon and then they tell you about it it's a big show gotcha and they the televised show so it's like i was late for my own grammy <laughs> <laughs> isn't that amazing man's late for his own grammy <laughs> i appreciate his honesty i love it i do appreciate sort of the nonchalant you know Take it as it is, yeah. uh, attitude. But I think that's what success affords people. Oh, for sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, he definitely doesn't have more. You know, a lot of times people, as they say in baseball, he's got more swagger than he has swing. He just he, he he's not even he just gets up and hit, yeah. hits his home runs. Yeah. And uh, I, I loved it. I took a lot of away uh, as far as business lessons, life lessons. Uh, of course, it's very entertaining to me because it's one of my favorite artists. So I hope the audience got something out of it. Yeah. I, I, hope we, uh, I thought it was a good interview. Now, that last segment, I could definitely tell is like, I'm just going to talk about my favorite songs you've ever done. And we're going to just talk about those because they're my favorite songs. And I'm talking to you. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, that, that was a bit more self-indulgent. But at the same time, uh, the lesson I get is here's a guy that has mastered his craft, has become a major artist and can work with Kenny Rogers, Ray Charles, yeah, uh, just a who's who's list of, of sure. people, and that's what you know. There's it validates what we do here at TW3. We teach people how to use marketing tools and marketing uh, assets to build a business around whatever passion they're in, and once you develop that skill set, you develop that craft. And, and really turned it into something special. It, it, for me, it was I needed to learn how to generate leads for insurance. And so I worked it, worked it, worked it to, till I mastered it. And it attracted me into other industries. And I'm, I'm not even in. I personally, technically, not even in insurance anymore. Right. But that's where it started. That's where it started. And it's the same thing. He started off here. But now you look at his body of work. He's in multiple genres country r&b rock you know it's the same same principle you know i started off in this genre but you know you work your 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 craft you 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 do the process and that's why the the steps we teach back in the the back office steps one through six that's that's you're going to the woodshed you're practicing your skills you're practicing your rudiments you're practicing you're practicing you're developing your craft because once you have that under your fingers, you can play any song you want. Yeah, and I think people have to get used to the fact that it's not. Um, we scared River. Uh, yeah, River just walked in the studio and he thought he missed a podcast. He thought, "Was I supposed to be here?" <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no. But uh, I think that's something that can also trip people up too. 
um, you know, I talked earlier about people that come in from insurance and real estate and any sales type working from yourself job. Um, those people tend to do better. Um, but I've also seen the case where people like they have experience doing it that way and they just try and do it the way they've always done it. And there's a reason that there's steps and it's laid out the way it is because what you know over there, while it may work there, may not always work from over here. So learn the rudiments here and then apply what you know over there to this. I mean, because, you know, sometimes people just come in and they kill it. And right. those are people that are probably already in something that's very, very similar to this. But then there's a lot of different business structures set up for insurance. I mean, you know about it. And sure. same for real estate. Like, it's not always the same. And so it's good to, like you were saying, get in there, practice the craft, learn the product. You know? Well, experience can sometimes be uh, asset or liability. Yeah. So if... Uh, like, I wouldn't take... Uh, nah, never mind. I'm going to say that. Well, I, you know, I get what you're, where you're coming from. And the other thing is, uh, don't, don't take the used car salesman stereotypical used car salesman approach at, you know, right. What? Cause it's just not going to work the same. You it's know? not going to work. If you think you're going to, uh, you know, be this smooth talking slick, you know, because yeah. number one, I don't think that works anyway. No. <laughs> Long term. It just doesn't work. It's ineffective. But number two, We've got a business model here. You don't have to. As a matter of fact, it's it's it um it, it hurts you. Mm-hmm. To, What's the guy from uh, Wolf of Wall Street? Do you remember his name? Uh, the actor or the real person? No, the real person, not Leonardo DiCaprio. But uh, I uh, I can't remember his name, but most people know what I'm talking about. He has um, and the only reason I'm bringing him up is because he's got a lot of interviews now lately. Um, because what he does is he actually helps people. Uh. I believe his product now is he helps salesmen. He like helps. Yeah. He Jordan Bel- Belford. Yeah. Jordan Belford. I've now, actually saw some of his. Uh, now, granted, what he used to do was illegal and I wouldn't advise anybody to take his approach. <laughs> I'm talking about new Jordan Belford. The new and, 2.0. Right. The one that's reformed and sort of admits to what he did was wrong. But he'll even say it now. I've heard him say in interviews and he's considered like oh, the world's greatest salesman or whatever. But he's even talking about it now, how um, he's a better salesman now than he used to be. And that's because he talks about being able to help people is one of the biggest advantages that anybody can have. And so, you know, somebody did that stereotypical, sell me this pin. Right. And he kind of turned it back on the interviewer. He was like, do you even want a pin? And the guy <laughs> do was you like, need a pin. He was like, not really. He's like, then I'm not going to sell it to you. He's like, that's what people mistake about being able to sell is find yourself an industry where people need what you have. Right. And the fact is that's what we have now. I mean, people need jobs. People need that. A lot of people want to get out of their hourly job or salary job. Well, you just transitioned from an hourly or salary type position. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you don't have a sales background, Mm-mm. but you're doing you're killing it. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. Well, you are. I mean, uh, you've just been doing it now. What? Two weeks. Yeah, it's about a week and a half, two weeks, week yeah. and a week, week and a half. Got and five or six in the pipeline, five or six in the pipeline. And uh, but the thing is, I think but you, you don't have sales experience. Mm hmm. You don't have uh, an entrepreneurial background at all, other than being my son. You've right. seen it from from your yeah. perspective, which I would say exposure has probably helped a lot. Exposure but. has helped your mindset. And you, <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely changed my perspective and my mindset on things that people I work with that's my age that just don't see eye to eye. Which that's okay. I think I think they'll get to probably where I'm at around thirty or forty after they. Have you're their, just you're about ten, fifteen years ahead of your your right. Your generation. At least the way I think about the workforce and how you need to join and go well it, it, you know not to get into but this ain't politics so i don't mind saying this uh society has changed when i was your age there were more people 
thinking like you and I do now mm-hmm. at 23, yeah. 24. It has culturally changed and it worries me sometimes because the thing about our country is the freedom to do what you want to do yeah. and to experience as much as you want to go after. And that's, I would argue, what has made us successful in such a short amount of time. And I pray to God we don't lose that because freedom is just as the, uh, I forget who the leader was, it's just one generation away from being lost. And is freedom perfect? Absolutely not. Because when you have freedom, you have freedom to succeed. And freedom to fail. And you have freedom to fail. And yeah. those, those stories of failure is compelling. It's, it's tough to see people try and fail. And there, there's real lives that have been affected by a free society that's hurt. And, and it's not sure. Freedom doesn't need equal perfection. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but if, most people would take freedom to the. I would take freedom all day long because uh, it was one of these things that uh, I was reading the other day. It says, well, the media, we need we need to have fact checkers. And I was like, well, who's going to check the fact checkers? I mean, at the end of the day, it's all people. Yeah. The the only thing that I think it helps um, in business and in society and everything is not limited free speech, but wide free speech and transparency. Sure. You know, where's the money coming from? Who's influencing this? Yeah. What, what's the background? You know, not 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 more restriction, but more freedom is the an- and I anesthetic. Think there's a lot of uh, political pundits and I'm not going to get political, but there's political pundits that have used that argument. And a lot of um, a lot of even their supporters, they, they make the free speech argument, which I agree with. And then they go out and say something stupid and they've had the backlash of it. I know a lot of people that I used to look up to. I don't look up to anymore because. They're more honest about what they really think. And then it's sort of, it backfires on them. But, you know, I mean, I still agree with the initial message, even though they're on the receiving end of. Even people that I vehemently disagree with, I want them to have the freedom to say how they feel. Yeah, I want everybody to see how stupid some people are. Exactly right. let, Let the better idea win. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the only way it works. But uh, guys, we hope tonight that you've enjoyed tonight's podcast. God knows I did. <laughs> this might have been the most self-indulging podcast I've ever done. But uh, I tried my best to contextualize it to a point where other people other than Terry Wilson, fanboy, uh, got some, something out of it. So we uh, look forward to it. And by the way, before we get off here, quick announcement coming up in November. Coming up in November, we're adding even more support to our membership on Mondays at noon. Mondays Correct. at noon. Mondays at noon. Write it down. If you would like to be on a free live training as a member, you don't have to be an elite member. You don't have to be a plus member. You don't have to be a. Uh, uh, you don't have to be an elite member to come to this. Anybody can come to it. If right. you're SRT plus level, elite level. Mondays at noon, technical support, live training with Mr. Reagan. So we've gotten a lot of requests from people that uh, they would like uh, a Zoom type call. Zoom call. Mm -hmm. Which we used to do something like that. And then, um, you know, with just another job in school, couldn't really keep up with the demand for it. But now that free of charge, you just come in Mm -hmm. there, you sign up for it. And uh, if you got questions, you need uh, Reagan to illustrate something on the screen for you. It's going to be there. So that's pretty darn cool. And uh, it's every Monday at 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. If you're out on the left coast, bam, bam, that's nine o'clock. Set your watch. Uh, But uh, if you're on the East Coast, uh, if you got a question about the funnel, got a question about an AR, got a question about a landing page, 
opt-in form, whatever it is you're working with, and in some moderate marketing, you know, Reagan's not going to do a deep dive into marketing training with you. Couldn't if I wanted to. Couldn't, that's, not that's, that's not your thing. I mean, you're, uh, but you can help moderately because you're in sure. the field now uh, with them. So you can a- answer some moderate uh, questions. I think what it'll open up most is because uh, I'm not going to know everything. That, that's just a heads up for, you know, some people are even going to bring me technical questions. Like, that's weird. That's weird. Man, that's strange. I'll have to upgrade that. But yeah. the thing is, I think what it'll do is, uh, you know, I can follow up with you. Right. And, and it'll be able to help any barriers that people have. At least it brings it to light. And maybe we can, you know, I can't fix it over a Zoom call. We can do it over a few emails and a phone call. Like, absolutely. So it, it'll open the it'll open the gates a little bit for people that are. Well, you can stuck. understand more and more because you're seeing their screen. And, sure. and, uh, we and used, as the longer we do it, I'll know more. And be able we to used more. to do a weekly training at nine o'clock at night with me. But the problem is I needed to do an elite mastermind as well. And yeah. it was just pushing that to be able to do that. So I'm. Now that we got Reagan full time, we can uh, put him to work. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, guys, thanks for uh, coming out tonight and we will see you on the flip side. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to TerryWilson3.com today. If you've decided you are worth more, then go to TerryWilson3.com now and get a free digital sample copy of the book. You are worth more. Listen, no one's going to give you what you're worth but you. So stop putting off and get started earning, enjoying, and experiencing what you are worth today. Go to TerryWilson3.com now to start your journey today. That's TerryWilson3.com.